Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. What gives these people the right to think like this? Someone else is making money. Oh, we better put a stop to that. It's just disgusting business behaviour for one thing. More on that later as we talk about how European mobile networks may be changing your web experience. Welcome to Text Message. I'm Nate Langson. We start with this week's picks from the UK tech news. Joining me is one Mr. Ian Morris. Hello. Hello indeed. Now, in the previous version of that hello in a dry run recording... Ian said, good afternoon, or good morning. And then, uh, then realised I didn't know where I was, or what I was doing, or what I was saying, or what even indeed my name was. Yes, working under the, uh, the, the kimono of jet lag today mm. is Mr. Morris. Never mind, let's start by talking about Uber. Apparently, London's famous black cabs are in danger of being run out of town by Uber. Now, this is according to Bloomberg, which obviously, full disclosure, I work for, but I didn't want to ignore this story just because I work for Bloomberg. And the report says that TfL, the transit authority here in London, has shown that black taxi license applications are down 20% so far this year, and Uber is getting the blame. Not only that, but people looking to take the knowledge, which is the sort of Uber uh, Uber exam, not an Uber exam. That was a very terrible uh, Freudian slip. The <laughs> e- sort of epic exam that black taxi drivers have to pass in order to get their license, um, where they have to memorize about 25,000 streets and 20,000 landmarks in London. Um, applications to take that test have fallen by more than two-thirds at one of the examination centers. And that's largely because people driving Uber do not need to take the knowledge because they have GPS in all of their cars. Um, So why is this particularly bad? Well, uh, at the moment, there are about 15,000 Uber drivers working in London. Um, There are about 25,000 black cabs. So there are still fewer Ubers than black cabs. But in New York, there are already now more Ubers than licensed taxis in that city. So we are sort of seeing a trend that has happened in New York of Uber basically... uh, stamping in the way of uh, the local taxis. Uh, We've seen that happen over there, and we're seeing the same trends happening over here. Now, Ian, um, before we go into talking about, well, my view, what is your view? On this, uh, my my view is that I don't care even vaguely about uh, black cabs, and I th- I think they've had their day. Um, I mean, I, th- the problem for me is that they're just so expensive. I, I've got this a- I've got this anecdote that I roll out every now and then. I I once um, got a, a taxi from. Um, from uh, an awards ceremony in central London out to Waterloo uh, and it cost me £12 and I realised when I got there that Waterloo wasn't decided not to run any trains as South West sometimes do and then um, so I went back to the awards ceremony and um, that whole journey cost me 25 quid near enough and then the journey home in the Uber later cost me 25 quid to go you know what 25 miles I think you I think I, I think you've got a point on the price. I mean for me it's not I mean the price can be offset with the fact that there are loads of them all over the place and you can just put your hand out and jump into one. You know, you're paying there for for convenience you, and like me I'm sure have must have stood around 
waiting for a black cab to turn up and feeling more and more frustrated by it mm. and then being fe- feeling like you're being overcharged you know not 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 overcharged but because the rate is set by someone else but you know it but it is a very expensive service it is but and i have it, to jump in because there is another aspect to this so yeah. it's not really the price that concerns me here i think it is on the one hand there is the incredible convenience that is uber because it's not just about the cost there it's about the fact that you can see when one is coming mm. you can see where they are you can you know you, you can you don't have to wait around outdoors in the rain for example yeah. if you're waiting for a, an uber because you can literally see it on the map of your screen when it's uh, it's coming up to you, you can call them ahead of time if needs be, or they can call you more to the point when they're lost and can't find you. Um, th- that is very convenient. But the other problem that I have more frequently with cars, and I was having this with a uh, conversation in an Uber with a friend the other day, which is that, you know, a lot of cabbies, you know, they're not going to take cards and they're not going to take cards happily because they'd much rather have the cash um, for reasons I won't go into <laughs> now. But there is a reason that a lot of them do prefer cash. And you can sometimes have a bit of an awkward conversation with with them over over that you know they they just want cash and no cards and you know and they won't go south of the river they exactly it's it's a it's a it's a challenge and whereas with uber you don't necessarily have that same problem and in my experience that's great when you combine it with the cost that's fine the problem here is i think the um is the risk to the status quo, if you like. And I think that that's more of a problem for the industries internally than it is for passengers. At the end of the day, we just want to get from one place to another. And if and if the black cabs had innovated in the same way that Uber had, then we wouldn't be in this problem. The question is, have they had the technology as a kind of distributed network? You know, they're, they are centrally managed, but they're not centrally managed in that there's like a switchboard. You just jump in a black cab. They've, they, they've not innovated quickly enough and uber is and and it's part of the problem that uber is just a better experience therefore people are using it therefore the people who didn't take cards and didn't have apps and didn't innovate are getting pissed off that they're losing their business and i think well that is a problem yes but i can't blame it i mean which would you rather do and you know, faffing around with cash on drunk nights, you know you're going to get paid. Anyway, well, absolutely, um, and I mean, it's, it, it, there's also options for them if you uh, mess up their cab and things like that. It, I don't know. I just can't understand how black cabs have survived this long, really. Well, let's keep our eye on this. Let us know what you think. Podcast at natelangston.com. Uh, particularly interested, of course, if you've had a bad experience with Uber and a better experience in a black cab. Why do you think that is? Are you a driver? Do you know one? Maybe you'd like to take one and interview the driver about why they don't drive black cabs anymore. Let's move on to the next topic. This is another app-based London-centric story. An app that promises users a video doctor consultation within an hour and medication delivery to London addresses within four hours is due to launch in the next month. This is an app written about on wired.co.uk called Doctor Now and has been created by doctors to plug the gap in care not left by traditional GPs necessarily um, but it's it's launched to try and relieve some of the strain on A&E which is a real problem at the moment about 30% of A&E cases it's estimated at least um, could actually be classified as GP cases which means someone's going in for something not necessarily that urgent and is stopping someone going in um, and having a uh, I don't know, a spike removed from their <laughs> kidney. <laughs> yes. 
And um, this 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 launch follows uh, a launch of an app that came out last year that I remember uh, talking about quite a lot back then on uh, actually on Wired's podcast called Babylon, which had was a remote consultation service set up by a former Goldman Sachs banker called Ali Parser, who. Um, very interesting bloke. Now, this is an interesting app because you can pay four ninety nine per month for unlimited appointments. They've got about two hundred and fifty doctors. They're all licensed um, doctors. You're not just getting people who say, "I can identify a lung. I can tell you that smoking's bad for you. I'll tell people that for five pounds." It's all licensed medical professionals. But you can also, and this is the interesting one, uh, you can also pay just twenty nine quid for a one off appointment. Now, I think this is really weird because four ninety nine a month gets you unlimited appointments. Let's let's say five quid a month for unlimited or 30 pounds for a one-off appointment. I feel this actually appeals to hypochondriacs because if you're the kind of person who regularly w- needs to ask doctors questions, the value proposition here of paying just a fiver a month for as many as you want is so, so much more compelling than 30 quid to just do it once. Well, like, the- I really... I really, really believe that this is going to be the hypochondriac's absolute dream. But you've just identified right. two different people, haven't you, really? So there, there will be the hypochondriacs and they will subscribe. And there will be the people who just have a one-off problem who won't subscribe. Like, I would probably... I mean, I don't know why I would, because I, my doctor's quite good and I can get an appointment the same day, any day, and they're open 365 days a year. Um so I would probably not use this service. Where do, where do you live? Where do you live at the moment, Ian? I live in Surrey, roughly. You know, Surrey. Okay, yeah, yeah. that's not central London because no. I've had to wait sometimes a week for a, a GP appointment down here. You know, and it might not be something particularly serious. You know, mm. I don't know, uh, a stomach problem that seems to be going on for a little bit longer yeah. than, than than normal. Something like that, where it can go completely in the space it takes to get a doctor's appointment. Yeah. And all, all right, that's fine. That's good. Maybe that cancels the need for the appointment. But what actually if that was something more serious? I've been fortunate that it never has been, but it really could be. And waiting a bloody week for a doctor's appointment is just ridiculous. But you would be able to get an emergency appointment, right? You can, but then you run the risk of not having an emergency appointment because everyone thinks that any pain they've got is an emergency. Yeah, I mean... Fortunately, I, I... smart people don't... You know, they they appreciate that what is probably just a pain or a muscle spasm or IBS or whatever, they are smart enough not to say yeah, it's an emergency. Yeah. And if it really is an emergency, then maybe do go to any. Um, well, but or I, but, like, goes to minor going injuries. Back, going, minor injuries are going, very good. Going, going back to the app, one of the things that I think is really interesting about this as a proposition is that technically speaking, you could use this anywhere you are. So even if you could get an appointment with a GP, but let's say you travel a lot, and if you have a problem uh, maybe caused by uh, a flight, I don't, I'm trying to think of ailments I've had where I've thought I could use this. I remember once what turn, what was basically probably eating some bad food on a flight in New York, not wanting to try and figure out how to see a doctor in, in New York. I would have loved the opportunity to dial up this, this app as part of my subscription and do that from my hotel room and get, you know, impartial medically certified advice within an hour. Yeah. I think that's a, a compelling, a compelling thing to do. Or if you live a long way away. I mean, again, we talk about this in London, but I mean, if you are somewhere out in the sticks, then it might actually take you, you might be able to get an appointment with, you know, that day, but it might take you four hours to get there because you live 
in a in a in a hut in the middle of um, some moors. I do get what you're saying, but the NHS does provide. I mean, you can call your doctor, for example. So you could just, you know, call reception and go, "Hey, listen, I'm in New York. I've, I think I've had something dodgy. Could I just talk to a doctor uh, and, yeah. and get a, a phone appointment?" And they probably like that because it will take a lot less time than a regular appointment. And they'll just go, yeah, 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 it's fine. Or, oh, well, if it's, if it's gone on this long, then perhaps you should go and see someone locally or something. You're right. The other, the other side of this, though, is that this is a doctor, a video doctor consultation. So you, right. the doctor can see you. So if you had something I horrific. I do not know on how your... that would help. Seriously. Um, I mean, right, what, what, sort of, what sort of conditions can you, you know, uh, diagnose could... over FaceTime? loads mate really absolutely without question absolutely don't think about you know a skin ailment somebody worrying oh is this um i've got to say no i just don't i don't think a doctor would do it that way i I, because you need to see it you need i mean every time i've had a skin condition say and i've been to a doctor or my daughter has you know they they need to touch it to really understand what they're dealing with um you know that's that's the training that's it's part Mm. of being thorough i mean I, i do get what you're saying i'm not I don't think it's a bad idea. I just, I, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm happy with it. I'm happy with it. I just don't think it's going to be the be-all and end-all or the solution to the problems of everyone and the, the problems that we have with everyone needing doctors all the time. Mm. There are too many well, of the, us. That's the problem. The other side of this is that um, they are setting up NHS-approved pharmacies in uh, there's one outside of London and one inside, and these are, according to the Wired article, acting as warehouses for medical deliveries, which means that if a doctor on this app needs to prescribe something, and I do believe that this couldn't be used for, um, what's the word, kind of like ongoing medication, but for things like one-off medication, right. like if, uh, I don't know, you need some sleeping tablets for something or you've got an allergy um i I don't believe they're going to be able to use this for things like um i don't know the kind of thing where you get things on repeat prescription basically i think i think this is going to be more for i've got a pain or i feel sick or i've got um, a leg off yeah one of my legs has fallen off or my my blood's turned green (laughs) um and i've got a second head um i think that's going to be what it is but anyway we, we could we could go down this little rabbit hole of um hypochondria related discussions for for a while but we shan't safe to say that uh, there's a write-up on wired uh wired uk if you want to have a, a a look at that i mean it must we can't be very far away can we from you know apple having like say like healthkit having something where you can send a blood sample over the internet like we can't be far away from that can we that's true. No, you know, that, that, I, I mean, think that, that's probably this would, quite this close. This would come to the point where these services would be even more useful. You know, you, you d- take a blood thing and send it off and then the doctor can see that and you don't need to go in. It'd be brilliant. Well, I'm, I'm sure that's happening, being developed now. I think yeah. the other thing is there's going to be adapters for blood tests that you can plug into the bottom of your iPhone. Mm. Like there already are Bluetooth yeah. things, I think, for diabetics. So there are indeed, yeah. And uh, there's only it's going to be not too long, but I do also slightly worry that it gives people the opportunity to think they're ill a lot more than they actually are. I don't know. Um, I don't necessarily agree with that. Like sometimes I think that you know having access to information can help reduce the hypochondria. Hmm, I, I, interesting. I, I found that I was a lot less worried about my health when I was sort of when I just sort of went to the doctor a bit. You know, like, because everyone goes through phases in their life where they're just constantly at the doctor, don't they? Like, you know, you just have a run of bad luck or something. And and when you do that, you kind of, 
I don't know, it settles you a bit somehow. I mean, maybe, maybe that's just me, but yeah. You know, and I, I was a pretty bad hypochondriac. Now I don't worry. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I've been prone to that in, in the past, but generally speaking, my, um, my advice is just go. don't think about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, or just go to the doctor yeah. because they generally tell you it's fine. Yeah. It's time to delve into our sack of email, our bag of post. It's basically an inbox. We've had an email here from Kate, who wrote in to respond to last week's show. Who uh, She wanted to comment on the plague of checking emails for work out of hours. That was after a story that we discussed um, to do with uh, whether or not it was psychologically good to be able to be checking email out of hours. Anyway, Kate writes... As the former long-term girlfriend of an investment banker who still hears the clicking of a BlackBerry keyboard in her nightmares, I felt compelled to respond to your discussion about responding to work emails outside of work hours. Whenever you decide to check or reply to an email, you're making the decision that the email is more important than whatever else you're doing at that moment. If what you're doing is eating crunching at cornflakes and watching the crystal maze alone, and the act of replying to some emails will make the next day easier, then go for it. You're not hurting anyone. However... If you are with someone else and start to check your emails, you are telling that person that your emails are more important than them. Again, that's fine if you're both eating cereal and watching TV, but if you're having a meal or in the middle of discussions, discussing something in a museum, etc., then you are not only being incredibly rude, but you're also proving what a dull human being you are. Sensing a little bit of vitriol here, Ian. If you are as well. A little. Uh, Kate continues, There is no work email that is more important or interesting than your loved ones or real life. If you're checking work emails on holiday, then you deserve to be alone forever. <laughs> if, if you need to work during your holiday, then do your partner a favor. Stay at home and let them go on holiday alone. Wow. Something even a little bit more business Kate. here. Uh, Who they hurt will you, have, Kate? Who hurt? <laughs> well, obviously this guy. Uh, they will have a better time without your constant tapping on your phone and might be less inclined to break up with you when they get back. Alternatively, you could restrict your rudeness to a set 15 minutes a day, and after that time are forbidden to check your phone. This is probably a reasonable compromise for most people, i.e. not me. But Kate, you don't understand. My job is so important. Everything will crumble without me. No, it's not. No, it won't. Go away. Yours bitterly, Kate. Blimey. Good grief. The grief has never been any gooder. I'm, I agree. I mean, I've, I think that Kat, well, unfortunately, what Kate has run into there is not not necessarily um, just that boyfriend, but just sort of men, really. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I, I I mean, I'm generally inclined to agree. I think sometimes there are emails that are more important than what you're doing at the moment. I'm a bad checker. Is... I've got to say, I, I, a lot of what she was saying there was uh, was you know reminding me of me because uh, I... I do. The thing is, though, mate. I mean, you are—you're a freelance um, journalist, and yep. so you have a lot of business coming from a lot of different places. And uh, being on the commissioning end of uh, freelance writers, sometimes you do get a pitch or you do get a, uh, a commission, and someone will ask you, particularly in this in this sort of news world, that you know, could you turn this round in a couple yep. of hours for me? Yeah, it has and happened. yeah, I, I've done it. I've done it to people in your position, and I know you—you you get it done to you as well. I'm sure regularly. And it, and it is in those situations where sometimes the difference between checking your email before dinner and after dinner might actually cost you a commission. Um, maybe not enough to completely ruin your um, ability to make a living, but certainly enough to make it annoying when you realize you've missed, you know, a few hundred quid here and there that you could have had if you were just a bit more, you know, rude and dismissive of your love life. So that's email. Who would have thought that something as uh, niche as 
work and email could put so many emotions up to the surface <laughs> of the broth, like a, a scummy film that uh, a filter really should remove when it comes out of the tap, the mouth. <laughs> oh, nice. Not everyone in the world is as beautiful as you, dear listener, and not everyone knows how to download a podcast. That's why I'm encouraging you to bring someone you know into the podcasting world by telling them about this show and which app you use to listen to it. You'll be helping not only me and text message, but all podcasters who often need word of mouth more than money to help promote their work. Thanks for listening, and hopefully, thanks for the review and the help spreading the word. Or if you want to be on the show, Send your comments about this episode or any other tech topic. Podcast at natelangson.com. Apple is about to sunset. Oh, <laughs> Jesus, what, did you just what, say that? Uh, look, I'm reading from an article here. I'm reading. I think this was on 95Mac. But, I mean, come word, on. You could have removed the word sunset. I believe in in you know. If, I believe in I believe in the English language. No, I, I, if I if I say you know this is something being written by a website, I like to name check the website yes. and I like to read the words that they've written. That's fine. Otherwise, I feel like I'm just plagiarizing them rather than just ripping I them off really and giving th- them credit. I don't think so. I mean, <laughs> I just I just the word sunset. I mean, come on. All right. Okay. Let's let's. I'll I'll begin again. You can do it. I, App- I can just translate it for everyone. No, it's fine. Apple is about to stick a knife in the back of a number of iPhones, Macs, and other products as it plans to switch several models to obsolete or vintage status in June. Now, this is according to internal documents that I first read about on 9to5Mac. Now, here's the interesting thing. I could go through and list the sort of 10 products or so that are being listed as obsolete. However, one of them is interesting. The other's not so much. The iPhone 3GS will be officially obsolete in June. What does obsolete three... mean in the context of this? It basically means Apple's not going to um, continue offering support. So there'll be no so... more bug fixes or anything like that? Uh, I think it actually probably extends a little bit deeper to, than that. It probably just means that they're not even going to offer to fix it or replace it oh, at interesting. all. interesting. You know, which is weird because, I mean, the 3GS as a basic phone, if you really do just want the pre-installed apps, shove a SIM card in it and, you know, you've had one that still works, it's still fine. If it hasn't been used for five years, if it's basically been in a box, you can probably still give that to a grandparent or something. Right. Like, it's a fine product. But the fact is, if they break it, then Apple's saying, ah, oh, it's an obsolete product. It's just bizarre to me to think we're in an era where a product that was, you know, the iPhone 3GS, like I'm, I, I'm sure you as well as I and probably most of the people listening remember when that phone came out, yeah. probably a lot of us had one. And that's already been classed as an obsolete product. It's only well, five to seven years, uh, something like that. I think but the, that's, the spra- that is a reign of the iPhone. time in, in, in mobile tech. It is. A, a, I mean, I'm not surprised. I, I, I'm amazed they've managed to keep it going this long, really, but to be honest. I mean, five years from a product being released and being the latest, greatest, best thing to being we are officially saying that this is an obsolete product. This, this product has bent over and succumbed to the unstoppable scythe of obsolescence. Well, here we go, five, though. I mean, it's possible five that there's, years. A, there's a reason for this and that reason might be that they genuinely don't have the components anymore 
like they may have they may have replaced all the batteries and they may no longer have any on hand and it, to make more would be too expensive it should be a duty to support these for longer than five years 10 years maybe no no, Keep no. That. when you're selling this many products no. this many iphone 3 gs's you know apple will come out with press releases and they do this believe me every time saying how many millions of products they uh, specific models they've sold for years millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of these things and you're really saying that after five years Every single person has not got one anymore. They're not and saying therefore, that, though, are they? They're saying that... They might as well. Well, no, but they're, they're not. Saying... They're just saying that, look, there aren't enough of these for us to really give much of a hoot about it anymore, and we can't continue to support everything forever. You know, like, no, I, mean, I, I reckon if you went in with a 3GS, they'd give you a nice little discount on a new one, or, you know, on a 5S or whatever. It just seems it just seems too soon for something that has sold so many, um, Is it, so when, many products. When did it come out, the 3GS? 2009 it came out, and we're in 2015, so it's been six years when the, 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 the 3GS has been retired, six years. I can't, I mean, look, be, be honest with me, right, how hmm. much stuff do you think lasts six years this day and age? Like, I mean... Laptops. Plenty. I mean, you, you know, you're going to want to replace a laptop after six years, more than likely. I mean, a lot of people don't, and that's fine. Um, I've got Mac. I've got a Mac here that I bought in 2007. I don't use it, admittedly, but it's there and it still works. And yeah. bits of it are fixable by me. But this is a phone that you can't even open the back. But of. a third you can't party even... could fix it for you. Fine, if that's the industry that, that Apple is supporting, then that, then that's no problem. Well, maybe a maybe an authorized Apple repairer place would be, would be able to do it. The other problem is that they keep they still made iPhone three GSs until late in twenty twelve. That's less than three years ago mm. that they were still even building the damn things. Let alone retailers that then had stock and were still selling them. And I think now for that to be an obsolete product, it's like it's too soon. And this is not new. Apple does this, and, and Apple is not by any means the only company that does things like this but for me for a a flagship product that sells so many that is such a massive deal for the company when they sell to a new milestone like they do with the new iphones i think that six years from announcement to official obsolescence is is i think it's too small and i think that all right, there may be some unofficial flexibility Apple gives on customers. Certainly, I've had a uh, a Magic Trackpad replaced for free. I walked into the store. I had no receipt. It was four years old. The battery had obviously leaked inside, and I hadn't used it for a year, and I took it in on the off chance and was intending on buying a new one. They just gave me a new one straight out of the gate. I could have stolen it. Mm. It could have been broken because of something I did. They didn't really question it. They just assumed that I was telling the truth, which, to be fair, I was, um, and they just gave me a new one. Well, that's nice. Fair enough. No, it, it is great of them, and, and they are good at that. I just think that to send the message out that you can go from announcement to official obsolescence in six years, um, I think that's too short. And at the very least, it's worth debating for eight minutes on a podcast. Well, also, um, one other thing I will say is that don't forget that Apple knows everything about every product it's released, and it knows exactly how many 3GSs are being used at any one time. And it probably can say that there's just not enough of them out there for it to be a concern. Last story we wanted to get to, and this is uh, just one I wanted to touch upon briefly, to be honest, because we're yet to see how it's going to develop. But this is a story that I read about on Ars Technica. I think it was originally reported in the FT. And this was headlined, EU mobile carriers plan to block ads and demand money from Google. 
the, the story begins by saying multiple op- mobile operators in Europe plan to block advertising on their networks with one of them to target Google's ad network to force the company to give a cut of its ad revenue. That bit's according to uh, the FT. And uh, there's a quote here. An executive at a European carrier confirmed that it and several of its peers are planning to start blocking adverts this year. The executive said that the carrier will initially launch an advertising-free service for customers on an opt-in basis, but it also is considering a more radical idea that it calls, quote, the bomb, which would apply across its entire network of millions of subscribers at once. The idea is to specifically target Google, blocking advertising on its websites in an attempt to force the company, Google, into giving up a cut of its revenue. Now, this to me, (laughs) number one, is a demonstration of networks basically hindering innovation and getting envious that they haven't come up with what Google has before Google did and is trying to get a cheap buck. This and is, we'll come I to mean, that. This is disgusting. Yeah. This is just the worst thing I've heard about but tech this, today. But if you remember, two or three weeks ago, I was talking about the some of the things that I found were missing from the manifestos for the political yeah. parties. One of the things, well, the thing that I pointed out and in fact wrote an article about for The Telegraph saying this is missing and shouldn't be missing is net neutrality and legal right to being able to have a full internet and not be uh, tiered in any way by companies with vested financial interests. That would make this illegal. If we had protection for that, and it is in America, and that's why they can't do it there. And here, um, there are no, this is again, actually a quote, in fact, um, there's a quote here from the European Commission, says there are no clear rules on net neutrality today at the EU level, leaving 96% of Europeans without legal protection for their right to access the full open internet. So that is another problem. And that's why net neutrality is so important. But also, bog off EU carriers. I don't like ads any more than anybody else does when they're intrusive, but some ads are beneficial and Google has a right to display them in us in their services if we choose to use their services for free on knowing that they have ads in them. Yeah. Like I, I accept that and everyone accepts that and carriers should not be blocking that just to make, just to force the hand of Google to give them money for doing F all. That's the closest I'm coming to swearing on this show. <laughs> I, I couldn't agree more. I, I mean, this is just this is just appalling behaviour. What it, what gives these people the right to think like this? Someone else is making money. Oh, we better put a stop to that. It's just it's, disgusting business behaviour for one thing. I I I mean, you know, I agree because I just ranted. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I think we. I, I mean, I suppose this 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 sort of thing has been suggested before, hasn't it? There have been, you know, some of the ad blockers. Uh, we'll we'll block ads, but selectively mm. let some through by negotiation. I mean, you know, I mean, there is there is a powerful moral argument that says blocking ads is sort of wrong. You're consuming something for free. You shouldn't. You know, it's not it's not taking up much of your eyeball space to 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 look at ads, is it? Um, but then again, the ad industry's sort of done itself over. It's consistently produced annoying adverts that um, that don't that aren't relevant to people and that uh, are just. Uh, essentially just a, a click through scam trying to get you to mm. be interested in what they're selling but then it's a you know some nonsense when you get there it you know i i i sort of understand why people use ad blockers but as someone who's earned his entire living for, since 2007 based on you know display ads I, I have to sort of be a bit kind of cautious about it and say well look we can't all block all ads all the time or there'll be no way to pay for anything yeah 
this is something we're going to keep our eye on because at the moment this is uh, a big report from uh, the Financial Times. So, it, you know, it's in its early days. This has not come out and been a uh, massive, uh, sort of massive deal yet. But, um, you know, we're going to have to just watch and see what gets officially I announced. I mean, it, it, it does, the, the text here says that, you know, just blocking ads for an hour a day might bring, be enough to bring Google to the table. I'm like, no, that's going to be enough to make Google go to a court, isn't it? Yes. And, and, get, and, yes. and, and start legal proceedings. And why wouldn't it? You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's I, like saying, it, you know, it's like somehow we work out a way of getting some money out of, you know, the, the, we, we insert ourselves between the mobile phone company's customers and them and s- just take what? a bit of money for something. I think if it did come to that, I don't think Google's going to have a very easy time because the European Commission is not exactly writing Google down its no, list of best but mates. You have, and no, but at the same time, you have to give them credit for being able to distinguish between one thing and another. And yes, yes. The, the EU obviously has some issues with Google, um, but at the same time, it, it, the Google does have the right to make money. I mean, this is just going to end so badly because what's... It should the, what, just end in, 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 in something like, look... You buy by our local tax, we'll protect you from the mobile operators here. Deal, deal. Let's just do that. And that might be... They are problem solved, problem solved. That could be a good way of doing it, actually. That's a nice idea you've had there because it could be a nice way of getting the government to say, well, okay, we can put a stop to this. Um, yeah. but you but you must pay local tax although that again it's still it's still holding them ransom and they aren't doing anything technically wrong as we discussed in that last podcast um, mm. but you know I don't know I, yeah I agree do you know, I was about um, to make a really horrible uh, sort of analogy for this but I didn't want to liken <laughs> Google to a murderer um, <laughs> no but um, I yeah, mean I was going to say just because nice someone's level, just because someone doesn't mean that they've also stolen well, it doesn't cat. mean they shouldn't they shouldn't be a, yeah I was going to say just because someone's murdered someone it, it you know shouldn't mean they shouldn't be uh, it doesn't matter. Well, they, Look, you know, tight. just because someone's murdered someone doesn't mean that you know everyone can just murder them. It, you know, that's not the way the law works, is it? You know, yeah. The, the law exactly. is to protect people from wrongdoing. Speaking yeah. of cats, how is your loan cat, by the way? Hashtag borrowed cat is lo- doing very well. I love the fact you borrowed a cat. I really, really want to borrow a cat now. I I took a week off work as well. Really, just to borrow a cat. So I- and it was coincidence. I'm looking after the cat for two weeks and I took a week of that off work to kind of relax. I hadn't had a, a day off work since I started at Bloomberg in January and I've had so much on back to back every single day of every week since the beginning of the year that I thought this is the most appropriate time to take a week off for a staycation, relax a bit, read, go for some nice walks and hell yeah, chase play, a cat around the cat. living room in my underwear. <laughs> it's brilliant. There's a cute yeah. cat. I've seen the pictures. Beautiful cat. Very, yeah. very Check beautiful. my Instagram uh, if anybody wants to have a look at uh, hashtag borrowed cat Rex from uh, CNET's Luke Westaway. So, so, much, so much fluff on, the, on the, um, the, the, the chest. That's what got me. It's about yeah. nine or ten fluffs, isn't it? It's, it's top quality. It's dense. It's dense. It's explaining. That is going to do it for the podcast this week. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And Ian, a pleasure. Absolutely same. Thanks for listening to Text Message, a weekly free podcast produced, edited, and funded by me, Nate Langson. Don't forget, you can help so much by bringing someone you know into the podcasting world by telling them about this show and which app you use to listen to it. From the Corner Studio in my house in Ealing, London, thanks again for listening and for any help in spreading the word. Small details are big surfaces. 
tight corners or odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.